Welcome to another edition of Plugged In, the Con Edison podcast about all things related to energy. I'm your host, Philip O'Brien. Is this climate change? Not another heat wave. If we don't do anything, if the global community doesn't do anything, how do we operate in that new environment? First, the bad news. The Earth is in more hot water than ever before, and so are we, the inhabitants of Earth. Extreme heat, coastal storm surges, inland flooding, and violent storms are forecast to be more intense and more frequent this century. It's a challenge for the entire planet, including not least of which a large energy company such as Con Edison. Those are the facts. Now the good news. A study is out that provides a strong foundation to plan, design, and invest in energy delivery systems to better protect them from these kinds of severe weather changes. And that's what we're here to talk about. Joining me are the managers of the report, Charles V. Meister from Con Edison and Judson Brusgel from ICF. ICF is a global company that specializes in strategic consulting. We'll have more on them in just a bit. Thank you for coming, guys. Charles, I'm going to start with you as the project manager for this. It was a comprehensive study, but give us, give us the main points, the main takeaways from it. Well, the main points is that it's going, like you said, it's going to be hotter and it's going to be more humid in the, in the future. The sea is going to start rising up. Uh, so we're trying to make sure that in this study that we anticipate where that's going to be and when that's going to happen. Uh, so we have things like when I said hot and humid days, we could see going from two days a year now when you're hot and humid above 103 uh, degrees centigrade to uh, 103 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would really be hot. Um, for two days a year, we may see that as many as 26 days a year by the year 2050. Wow. I mean, you bunch those together and you can have right. some long heat waves as well. So. It's something and that we're, we're trying to plan. And against. I don't need to tell you that New Yorkers are very quick to complain. Yes. So are we going to be hearing more complaints? Uh, yes, uh, we will hear more complaints if nobody does anything about uh, carbon emissions. In, right. In the, in the and that's what this plan is helping to do, to yes. do something and to reduce these bad factors. Yes, and the, most of the focus of this plan is to make sure that we are prepared to operate in that hot environment so that we can continue to serve our customers without interruptions. The other side of it is the company is involved in trying to help mitigate climate uh, change as well by helping to reduce carbon emissions wherever they can, participating in energy efficiency programs, anything to do with removing carbon. But that wasn't the focus of this study. This one is if we don't do anything, if the global community doesn't do anything, how do we operate in that new environment, whatever it is. Okay. And Judson, your company had a major role in this, ICF. Uh, tell us more about it. But first, I wanted to point out that you're the senior director there for climate adaptation and resilience. So your title is appropriate to now tell us. Right. Thanks, Philip. And it's sort of a signal of the fact that this is a topic that ICF's been working on for really a, uh, over 20 years. Wow. And thinking about risks from a changing climate. So we wanted to bring that expertise uh, from across many different industries, including within the energy sector, to think to help Conedison kind of think about what is the science saying about the about the changing climate conditions, as Charlie said. Working with collaborators like Columbia University, Lamont Doherty, Earth Observatory, on 
um, understanding the science, translating that really into what matters for Con Edison, what parts of the science are most relevant to their decision making, and helping uh, bring in the expertise from across the company to really decide what, what's important, what does Con Edison need to think about in terms of adapting to the changing conditions over time. Charlie, yeah, we, that's a cue for you. What do we need to do? <laughs> well, that, to, to Justin's point, I mean, Con Ed is a bunch of engineers, right, trying to figure out how to do things. We work with numbers. Uh, so when we were looking at the climate science, we were trying to make sure that we got it in such a way that it would help our engineers determine what are these thresholds, where are they going to go. And we needed it numerically. And that was a little bit different for Columbia University that's dealing with, you know, concepts of it will get hotter, it will be more intense, uh, but we needed numbers to go with that. So that was one of the things that was helpful with Columbia and ICF working together to help us pool that together, put it in the engineer's hands so that they can give a sense of, okay, well, what does that mean to me in terms of how do my transformer operate? Is it going to be rated differently because it's going to be hotter out? So these are the sort of things that they needed to know, and it was very helpful having those two involved. And this was not done in the last few weeks or anything. This was a major project. Tell us a, a little bit about the history and the background. It goes back, it goes all the way back to 2012. Well, yeah, it, it all came out of uh, Superstorm Sandy and our actions to try and mitigate having another storm like that impact our system. Um, I mean, a, a lot of different infrastructure groups got impacted by that. And, you know, Con Ed was just one, one part of it. So after that uh, storm, we looked to storm harden our system to prevent another storm, uh, Superstorm Sandy, from impacting us. And the collaborative that was pulled together, which included a lot of, like, the, the city included the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, Nice Serta was involved. All of these people took a look at us at that point in time and said, okay, we're doing this for the Superstorm Sandy. But climate change is becoming a stronger and stronger reality to everybody. What else can we do? So we got approval from the Public Service Commission to do this study and to expand it, not just look at uh, a storm surge, but now we're taking a look at temperature, we're taking a look at humidity, we're taking a look at precipitation, and then also going back and looking at sea level rise and seeing how that's changing over time. And then we pulled that together and also took a look at, well, what is those new... Um, components of climate change are going to enable different types of storms in the future. So we took a look at that as well, as what, how bad can some storms get, which we may not have seen in the past, but I think we're seeing it throughout the United States, like something like a Harvey. Okay, we never saw it here, but the chance of that now happening in New York is going up a little bit in the future. So those are the sort of things that we um, worked on, and that's how we got started on this. And we've been working on this for the last two and a half years going through that. Uh, as I said earlier, the toughest part was working with climate science and pulling that together to work with our engineers. That was the biggest part up front. And then once we got into an understanding of how to do that, the rest of the study went pretty well. We finished at the end of uh, 2019. We posted it on a website. It's available if people wanted to look at it. If they go to coned.com uh, forward slash resilience, you'll see the whole report there. Uh, and give a sense of what we accomplished. Why is today the time to do this? Some might say it should have been done sooner. They look at what's going on today in Australia. Alaska had its warmest uh, temperatures ever recorded recently. It's, it's sort of scary to a lot of people, isn't it? Yes, 
And and what's happened is major events like that sort of push people forward. I mean, I'm sure Australia and, and California has been looking at climate change, but they haven't formalized you know some of their views to the extent that we have. I mean, Sandy opened up our eyes to some of the vulnerabilities we want to explore further, and we have. So we are, in our system, the way we operate on a year-by-year -year basis, we are pulling in some of the climate change that has happened. So some of these events that have happened sort of give us a window into the future of what may be coming down the road, and we've acted on that. Uh, so Sandy, we put in measures that have prevented outages since that time in smaller events. So we, we are building up some strength in the system as we go. This study gave us an opportunity to, to look into the future and start to say, well, we need to also prepare for some other things that might happen right. in the future. So if you would, please, Charlie, give us a little bit more on, on what these preparations are and dollar amounts attached to them. So some, some of it is uh, anticipating that when we go through on an annual basis, we take a look at how much we anticipate our load to change over time. Uh, customers are moving around on the, in the infrastructure. The Hudson Yards didn't exist a couple of years ago, right? So now we have these new loads. They're showing up in different places. Energy efficiency is being done in different areas, so the load profiles of customers are changing. So what we did when we took a look, look at this, and I have to say that we did not take a look at all these changes coming in our infrastructure in terms of customers and that. We hadn't looked at that. We didn't look at electrification and what impacts that would have. We wanted to strictly focus on what the climate science may say, what vulnerabilities come up out of that. So we really took our system as it stands today and put it into future climate conditions and, and pinpointed where we have vulnerabilities within our system that we had to address. Some of them are like ambient temperature is going to go up. So it's going to be warmer summer, so you're going to have days that are going to be hotter on a longer scale over a continued period. That impacts our transformers. It doesn't, it doesn't make them fail, but it reduces their capacity. If it's too hot, if it goes over 86 ambient temperature, for a whole day, then that transformer technically can't put through the same amount of kilowatts as it, it would have normally. So we had to anticipate that. So when we do our load forecasting going forward, we now have to say, well, if you've got a transformer and you've got a load change in this period of time, that transformer may not be able to put through the same amount of capacity, so you're going to have to add something. You're either going to have to do something to improve the performance of that transformer or you're going to have to put additional transformers in place to meet the load that's coming up. And that's strictly because of climate. You know, then you also have the fact that because it's hotter, you may have more load from that customer because now they've put in more HVAC systems in place and they have a higher load requirement. So you've, you've got a gap there that you have to now address as you do your, your uh, going forward planning. Uh, when we looked at ambient temperature, we looked at... Uh, changes in load. We also looked at sea level. As sea level rises, some of the measures we put in place after Sandy, we may have to update those or replace them completely. There's, there's that potential in the future. So we looked at that and said, for those items, we could spend anywhere from 1.8 to like $5.2 billion by 2050 in order to put that stuff in place. The question is when and how much at what points in times. And that's what we're going to be doing now in this implementation plan. We're going to take the knowledge that we got from the vulnerability study 
and now put it into our implement, implementation plan and figure out when do we need to start spending that money. Is it immediate? Do we have to plan ahead? Or is it something that we can hold off on, make decisions later, see how climate science goes, see if, if everybody does something to reduce emissions and we have a different environment that we're going to be living in? And I think being able to track those changes through time, through through better monitoring is another key component of, of what Con Ed's laid out. And it fits with a sort of broader picture of, as Charlie was saying, um, we need to address things like existing assets that don't can't keep up with the gradual change that you're seeing. You need to think about new investments and things that might need to be better adapted for the whole lifetime that they'll be in service. Could be 40, 50, 60 years you put a new investment in, it's going to see that much change over the lifetime. That's the gradual change piece. There's also the extremes that we were talking about. And there's, I think, one of the nice things that Con Ed lays out in the report is really thinking about a holistic resilience management framework. So you've got this element to help withstand the events and adapt to the change. But in the case of those extremes, as they become more uh, probable or, or perhaps more intense, you've still got a better ability to absorb to the impact from those events recover and help customers to cope through uh, the event and ultimately advance forward so that when as you're building back as you're thinking about your system as a whole you're creating more resilience and better adapting over time and all of that sort of done with some pre-planning and forethought to the what's okay. needed and Judson is that why the plan the study is also uh, recommending five ten and twenty year plans is that to, a, to realize each of these manifestations as it goes on? So we know that the climate is changing, I think to your point, Philip, um, but the pace and total magnitude of change still has some uncertainty. So there are things that we know we want to plan for. There are other things we want to maintain some flexibility to plan for over time. And the um, adaptive pathways approach that Conanison is thinking about in order to implement in a flexible way can be both more effective and uh, efficient in making sure that you're managing those risks over time. Con Edison recently issued a commitment, a pledge, in which it calls for taking specific steps, including tripling energy efficiency by 2025 and offering customers a full, and that means 100% renewable energy supply by 2040. Are these uh, goals in tandem with this study? Well, yes, in a, in a sense that it, it's actually in parallel because the, um, the study that we did is to try and anticipate how we would have to adapt to a future climate, depending upon how globally everybody acts on reducing emissions. Um, this work that you're talking about, the commitment that we've made as Con Ed, is to help with the mitigation side of it. So to try and reduce the amount of uh, carbon emissions or at the through energy efficiency, uh, through being um, enabling more renewable energy supply on our system, those help mitigate. But at the same time, we're trying to look at in this study is, okay, if you do a good job, that's great. There's things we won't have to do. But if we don't do a good job as a community and globally, then there's a new environment that we're going to have to work in, and we need to make sure we're adaptable to that. Judson, how is this study being received? So there's a lot of interest because, as you said, Philip, people are seeing impacts already, and they want to know what folks who are providing critical services like the energy utilities um, are doing about it. 
What's the hardest part here? Is it convincing, is it convincing the, the man or woman on the subway that these changes have to be made? I don't think it's, it's that. It's, it's the, um, the hardest part is anticipating how much you want to spend to counteract climate change and how much the customer is willing to bear of that cost because that's a, that's a big issue here is I can build this system out, kind of could build a system out to withstand everything, but do you really want to you know, take the burden of that bill on your everyday electric bill? So we have to balance that out as we look at this to say, what do we know? What can we act on? And how much flexibility have we built into the system in case those projections from climate science change? Uh, and not overburden our customers with costs that they don't need to spend right right now. Um, and that that's the hardest part of it, is just balancing out those parts. Well, we've covered almost every base with this, and boy, it is a lot of stuff. Before we go, Judson, do you have any final thoughts on, on what this study means and, and how it'll help our city? I think it's going to be a great foundation for you know making decisions going forward. It's really rooted in that best available science. It's framed in a way that's meaningful for Con Ed and can help think about when to take proactive action here in a prudent way to manage risks and help provide services to the city. And Charlie? So this, uh, to Justin's point, this study really enables us to, to look forward and make sure that whatever climate science says, whatever projections are out there, we can adapt to any one of those pathways. So we're internalizing that into our systems, we're bringing it into our specifications so that we can anticipate where climate will be and be able to respond to that. We want to be able to serve our customers under any of those conditions. Okay, the future is the present. Thank you both for being here. Charlie V. Meister from Con Edison and Judson Brusgel from ICF and he is the Senior Director of Climate Adaptation and Resilience. And Charlie, you mentioned that the study is online. Uh, ConEdison.com? ConEd.com forward slash resilience will bring you to the report. Great, great. That's our show. If you have a story idea or thoughts about the program, you can send an email to podcast at ConEd.com. And remember, you can find us on SoundCloud. And we link our podcasts on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Philip O'Brien. Thanks for joining us. And until next time.